What does the future of the Republican Party look like in California? Well, nobody knows for sure, but we at the Briona Society would bet it will include women like Tamika Hamilton. Tamika is a decorated veteran of the Air Force who ran for Congress in 2022, not so that she could become a star on cable news, but because she actually wants to solve the problems of the people in her community. Tamika didn't win, but she still made waves. In a majority Democratic district, Tamika won almost half the vote and raised almost $2 million. Tamika's an optimist. She's a bridge builder. She's a proud conservative, but not interested in culture wars. Tamika and I talked about the state of the GOP in California, what being conservative means to her, and the unique challenges faced by moms of both parties running for Congress. I'm Jenny Feldman, and this is the Briona Society Podcast. As always, please remember to like and subscribe to the podcast. We wouldn't want you to miss future episodes. Tamika, thank you so much for coming on the Briona Society podcast. So I really wanted to invite you to speak with our audience because you are like a unicorn. You're a Republican making progress in traditionally Democratic Northern California. You're a 20-year veteran of the Air Force, currently serving in the reserves, the mother of five, and the wife of a fellow military veteran and current police officer. So let me just brag on you for a minute, and then I'll let you introduce yourself. In 2022, you ran for Congress in California's 6th District. Even though you weren't elected, your results were stunning. You got 46% of the total vote in an area where only 24% of the voters are registered Republicans. And you also raised a lot of money, almost $2 million dollars but you're the furthest thing from a political insider. You're not a Bush or a Romney. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi, Jenny. Thank you for having me on. (laughs) I'm like so excited for this interview. Sorry. (laughs) Yeah. So I am originally from Maryland. I'm from this small town. Well, actually I'm from a county that's really small called Calvert County. And I've lived in probably every little town within that county because my mother was a rather interesting person. But I spent most of my time with my grandmothers who were just like pillars in my life. I had some really incredible, strong women in my life growing up. I am the oldest of four. My grandmothers primarily raised me, so I was kind of like the only child for them. Both of my grandfathers were in the military, a veterans, Purple Heart recipients. I was the first girl, so I was like, okay, so what do I do when I grow up? And it was like, you're not going to the Army, you're going to the Air Force. <laughs> and I wanted to continue our family tradition and also get out of a small town. So that's what the military provided for me. And I've been in 20 years total, 14 active. I've been to five bases. I met my husband when I was stationed in D.C. We left Maryland, and that's how we got stationed here in California. And this has been our home ever since. I've done the past six years in the reserves. Travis Air Force Base was my last active duty station. And we, when we decided to, you know, to transition, we wanted to stay in California and live in our small town in Dixon. So it's just been a really incredible journey. Like, you know, we have five kids. I have my oldest son is 19. I had a start of marriage and then I met my real husband and now we have four little babies. Well, not little, but my youngest is two. And then my oldest out of my relationship with my husband is 10. She just turned 10. So since you were not at all busy and have very little going on in your life, you decided to run for office. (laughs) Right, right. Yeah, exactly. I appreciate you letting me like tell my story because sometimes like people think when you're running for office, like there's like this, you're coming from this big family with all this money. And it's like, no, 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 not at all. (laughs) No, just regular people on wanting to come here in California, making it. That's what we are. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. So how did you decide to run for office? 
Well, just like all of us, no matter what political party you're in, you're kind of tired of California politics and you want to see change and you want to make a difference. And I just saw that via public service. I mean, obviously I've served our nation for 20 years and I wanted to continue that service. Like the next chapter. Yeah, next chapter. I never went to central committee meetings. I never was involved in, in the party outside of just voting. I always thought people was like, it's one thing to vote and it's another thing to be involved. And I never was involved. I just said, okay, I want to take up this task. And I just started researching. So how about the decision to run as a Republican? Were you Have you been a Republican your whole life? Were you already registered Republican? Yes, I was already registered Republican. I will be frank with you. We did not talk about politics growing up, but I came from a really conservative leaning household. My family was just trying to keep food on the table and keep us out of trouble. I know it's like one of those things where obviously I'm a black woman and people are like, oh my gosh, we're you a Democrat. No, I don't have some sexy story <laughs> where it's like, oh, I was a Democrat and I woke up and it's like, no, like this is just from where I came from, what we believe in, this is how we vote. Right, right. So listen, I want to talk about some important issues to voters here in San Francisco where I am, but also across California and where you are. And I think kind of top of the list for you and me as moms is education. And you've spoken out a lot about the achievement gap. Um, You know, I was just poking around with some of the most recent data on educational achievement in California. And it is so depressing. Only 33% of our students are meeting math standards, less than half or 47% are meeting reading standards. And the results for minority students are even worse with only 16% of black students meeting state standards for math and 21% of Hispanic students doing so. So what do you say to parents who are just fed up with the state of California schools? They have to get involved. That's where it starts. And it doesn't end until your child's out of school. And when they go to college, you still have to be paying attention. Yeah. Yeah. Were your kids, for how long were they out of school during the pandemic? So my kids were out, you know, roughly a year. I was very fortunate that my babysitter, Nanny, she's family. I don't even like to use those terms, but she's family. And she's been with us since before the pandemic. She was studying to be a teacher. And so when everything shut down, she just went right into teaching our kids, doing homeschool. And so my kids did not miss a lot of the other other kids missed. I was just very fortunate. But we were up roughly a year. We started like everyone else doing the Zoom school and it just didn't work for us. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So the other big thing for San Franciscans and one of the reasons I became more involved in political issues and discussions is public safety. Here in San Francisco, our challenges with property crime make international news. But one of the major hurdles we're facing is a shortage of police officers. The SFPD can't meet its recruiting goals and we're down, I think, 500 officers. You're married to a police officer. Do you have any perspective on what we can do about this? City council meetings, truly getting involved. Again, this is not something a lot of people want to hear because they like, oh, we pay taxes. It's supposed to fix itself. But it's city council meetings. It's when your lawmakers are trying to pass crazy legislation that we've seen over the past couple of years. It's about going to those meetings, making public comments, and then to bringing your friends along so that the numbers show that the community is concerned. Again, nothing about any of this is going to be like some one-stop shop and then we go back to our normal lives. The only way for us to get change, not only here in California, but across the country in your respective areas, is to just stay on their heads and say, look, okay, 
when they try to pass things, you go, you go and make those public comments. You, if you have candidates that you appreciate, you support them and help them run. Those are the things that make change in your community and make a safer community. And it, and I know that in San Francisco, you're obviously, you're on the national stage. And I will always say to Democrats, it's like, you don't have to accept the Democrat that's in the office. It doesn't mean you have to vote Republican, but there are better Democrats. I have Democrat friends. I have Democrat lawmaker friends. I'm not against Democrats that are, that. you know what I mean? Like we're, we're, there's so many of us that are so like-minded, more alike than apart. We just got to find the right people. And so I just encourage you know, San Francisco Democrats to pick the right ones, or pick the better ones and don't stay stuck because, oh, they're just, you know, this is the person that the party put up. You don't have to deal with that. You're stronger than that. We're Americans. We can, we can change these people out. They're not celebrities. They're not kings. Right, right, right. <laughs> and I, think, I think also, I mean, I think we, some cultural change is in order in terms of, I mean, yes, we can absolutely be in favor of rooting out officers who are not behaving professionally or worse, behaving criminally. But let's take some time to appreciate the officers like your husband who are, as you said before, like the good guys or gals, you know, people who do take their job very seriously are interested in public safety, protecting the community, and just trying to do their best with some really challenging situations. Right, right. And and my husband, you know, he always tells people to go to city hall, go to the city council meeting. So, and he's been a police officer for, oh God, over 10 years, but he was in in the Navy. And where he's at in San Ramon, you know, they are very much involved. The public is very much involved with what's happening in the community. And that's why you might not see those the same statistics in San Ramon that you see in San Francisco. What's it like being married to a police officer in 2023? It wasn't until 2020, the summer of 2020, where I was actually truly concerned about my husband's safety. When you're a wife of a first responder, you don't get in the way of that. I mean, I know there's some people that feel differently about it, but I never get in the way of a man's dream. I don't believe in that. And as a wife, you want to support. But it wasn't until the summer of 2020 that I I prayed harder than I've ever prayed before. Obviously, being in the on the force is something that, you know, you're going to, anything could happen, right? But this was different just because of the riots, the stuff that we haven't seen, I haven't seen in my own lifetime. What about homelessness? Are you seeing much homelessness in your area? So not particularly in Dixon, but I'm in Solano County. And one of the great things about Solano County is that I'll highlight that the church and a lot of the church leaders have taken on homelessness. One of my pastors in the community, he knows every single homeless person in Vacaville, (laughs) every single person. And so they've taken an approach to like know the homeless people, not let them live in the parks. It obviously is not as bad as it is in San Francisco, but they've done a lot of work to mitigate them being in like on the streets. It's more than I've never seen. I mean, we have the most homeless in the nation, the most homeless veterans in in the nation in California. And I just am appalled that we have gone on and put up with this for this long. And our spending keeps rising. The more we spend, it seems the worse the problem seems to get. So I know there's something maybe amiss with the with our methods. Well, I think that it's going to a lot of special interest groups. So I would be very I I know that an audit um, is 
it should be happening soon. I don't know when those dates are. I know that that's something that the Republicans and the legislature have been pushing for. We have to have an audit. I, you know, I have my theories. If it's not being fixed and where's the money going to, it's going to a lot of these special interest groups that are not actually helping the problem. And why would you help a problem if you're getting a job that's paying over a hundred thousand dollars a month and you get to just say, we helped X amount of people at the, you, you helped, you helped the bare minimum, you know, that needs to be called out. I think that it's, homelessness plus drug addiction. It's so many things and it's unfortunate. Yeah. Yeah. So as a mom who, as you say, is working really hard to feed your family, take care of everyone, I'm sure you're understanding the squeeze of inflation in a way that a lot of other politicians probably don't. So I wonder what you heard from people when you were campaigning and what you've also seen in your own life and community about how inflation is really putting the squeeze on people. Well, regular people like us, we see it at our grocery stores, the gas prices. And what is sad is that people, again, are just, I feel like are just putting up with it. If I, uh, I think I spend about, oh God, an extra 200 to 300 in groceries a month on top of my budget. And, and meanwhile, pay has not risen according the same. <laughs> no, no, it's not. And then let's add in, let's add in that plus, you know, add the expenses of gas. And because like when, when we're talking, and I, t- I talk to people how I want to be talked to. When we hear the word inflation, we're like, what? You mean just high gas or groceries, like food costs? Like that's what people want to hear. Because when you say inflation, that's just still like Washington speak. That's still Washington speak. It's like, oh, okay. All right, whatever, right? But then when you say gas prices, I guess gas prices are high. And part of the reason for that in California is uh, we have special taxes on gas, right? We have special taxes for everything because they don't know what to do with the money that they already had. We have, oh my gosh, it's so bad. But again, people, because, you know, people want to blame it on parties sometimes. But, you know, this is how we've been voting as a whole. And I don't like to point fingers at voters, but it's like, we got to do something different. It doesn't necessarily mean you, I want to force somebody or try to coax somebody into voting for a Republican. I'm just saying there's other options out there than the incumbent who hasn't done anything for X amount of years. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And another big issue, especially in your area, I mean, look, all Californians, I grew up in California, water has always, always, always been an issue. And I remember a few months ago when I was driving down to LA and I was seeing in in the agricultural areas, all these signs saying, you know, Governor Newsom, do something about this, you know, save our rainwater because all the rainwater was being flushed into the ocean and the farmers were desperate for some better solutions. Do you hear that from the people that you talk to in your community? Well, the farmers are some of my main supporters. And so, yes, they echo the same sentiment that you do. Uh, We've had the bill passed for a water infrastructure to happen, and we haven't seen it. It was voted on, it's passed, the money is earmarked, and we still haven't seen water infrastructure. Again, this goes back to people making it a big deal. This is what I want people to march for. California produces, I believe the last time I looked, over 80% of the country's produce. So it's like, okay, if we don't have farmers, what's happening in the grocery store? Cost of food is rising even more because they are not able to have the water that's necessary to keep their crops of going. It raises their expenses. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, right. And they want them to go to automated. It's like, that's like a whole other topic for another day. I would be happy to connect you with some of these farmers out here that are, that have been going to the capital to try to get them to, to actually do something about it. 
Maybe I don't want to go too far deep into this, but you're saying that when you say they want them to get into automated, are the farmers being encouraged by the state to do something different with their With their methods? equipment. So they, okay. they're trying to basically force farmers to use automated equipment through different laws that they've been trying to pass. It's a really sad situation, but yeah, that's one of the things that's been happening to them on top of not having the water infrastructure in place that has been already allocated, earmarked, excuse me. So that's another topic. And of course, it's going to be an environmental issue or it's couched as an environmental issue. But I could totally connect you with people that would put you in a deep dive into that because I don't think that the public knows like how the farmers just being abused here in the country. Yeah, it's a shame because farmers aren't as large in number as maybe they are in importance to our society. So maybe they're not getting heard the way that they should be. So, okay. So Switching over a little bit to politics, I've heard you say many times that Republicans can win California and that the right Republican can win over moderate Dems, but you seem frustrated by candidates who go hard on culture war issues. And I'm wondering if you could tell us a little more what you mean by that and what you'd like to see Republicans talking more about. Yeah, so there's so many different thoughts I have. I don't think that we should stop talking about social issues. For me, my focus has always been on what is on people's minds right now. What are those top three issues? And no one's going to tell me a social issue. Uh, Maybe we'll hear it maybe once out of 10 times. But for the most part, people care about putting food on the table, what school their kids are going to, and what do they have left over to be able to take their kids on a vacation or whatever. Those are the things that people care about. They want the government to be out of their business. And they're not by way of hurting them financially. In that school system, and you, we talked about it earlier in the interview, we are fifth. I think it's like fifty in the country for reading comprehension. We're down there. We're down, We're down there. there. It is. Like, yeah. It's crazy. So when I um, get upset with Republicans, it's about them missing the mark on things that really matter. And the thing with Republicans right now is that they have the wrong messengers, and you know that Democrats. They have celebrities. They have culture, right? They have culture wrapped up right. in a nice little they bow. Definitely culture. Right. They've definitely got right. culture. Right, in a nice little bow. And so the best way I can explain is that the right does not have that same, they don't have that same thing. So sadly, a lot of commentators have become the celebrities that Republicans need to feel good. Is the best way to put it. But those people, they're either far in one camp or far in another camp. There's not anyone bringing anybody together. And so you hear more about the famous Republican commentators versus the actual legislator. I know more about what a commentator says than what a legislator says. So for me, it's like, oh God, you know, you're sending the wrong messengers. You're missing the ball on key issues that I think would get people to sway. Obviously, I ran in a very hard district, but I kept it to the issues. And this is the Democrats knew that they were voting for a pro-life woman. They knew these things and they still voted for me. (laughs) This was a more Democrat than independent district. So it's like, okay, let's build upon that bench. And I ran in some tough years, you know, 2020 and 2022 were very tough years for the country as a whole. And we still got that close. So that's why I said that Republicans can win if they just stick to messaging. They don't want Republicans to entertain them. They want them to legislate and govern. It sounds like I think part of your success also was that you had a really strong ground game. Like you were actually on the ground, knocking doors, meeting voters. What was that like for you? Do you have any like numbers of how many people you met or how many doors you knocked on? 
oh gosh, we knocked on thousands of doors. Even though it was last year, it felt like it was eons ago. But I will, I have to credit my team. Like, Jenny, I had a really great team. We're still friends to this day. I have a really, really great team. And this is why I like to talk about the campaign and the structure of it, because so many candidates think that it's social media. And they're being told that by people that have been in the party so long that kind of are missing some information because they haven't ran a campaign themselves, but they've been involved in the party. But it's all about having a great team that knows what they're talking about. My team was at large, mostly in Sacramento. So they knew the ins and outs. And then I had a great data team. And so, you know, we were able to see and find those voters that low hanging fruit. Um, But at the end of the day, I did not have enough money. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And then one of the things I thought was so interesting, and then this is not partisan at all, really, everybody should be more vocal about this. You were totally upfront about the fact that you needed or that you used campaign funds to help pay for childcare costs, which makes so much sense. And yet you got some blowback for that. Oh my God. It's almost a conversation that I have to talk about weekly because I know so (laughs) it is up until 2018 families male, female, doesn't matter, families, the candidate was not able to use campaign funds for babysitting. It wasn't until 2018 that a Democrat out of New York went to the FEC board and said, hey, look, I cannot have a full-time job, run a campaign. I can't do all these things without the support of child care and the funds to do it. The money that I'm raising, can I use it to pay for those costs? It's not a normal job. It's a 24-hour job. You know, you need to hire people that can be available to you if you have to travel or if you have to do like an interview or to go to a meeting at an odd time of the day. Like you just do. And then for me, when I said I'm not traditional candidates, like I had to sit on the phone for 30 to 40 hours a week making phone calls to include the weekend because I had to raise money. And so can I do that with a bunch of kids, a bunch of my babies, love them to death, but I couldn't do that with all of them. Like, Hey mom, you need this? Or Hey mom, can I do this? Yeah, yeah. It might be cute the first couple of times, but you know, not when you're making the big pitch. Right, right, right. So that's where Sadly, a lot of Republicans, I did not get any flack from Democrats. It was all Republicans. I mean, they try to go to town on it. And these are people that have never run a successful campaign a day in their life, but they wanted to make an an issue. It's quite okay to do that. Yeah. Well, good for you. I think many women, families, women and men are going to be reaping the benefits of that going forward. And they should, and people should absolutely be open about that because we want people who have families to be in public service because they are often the most involved in their communities and have a lot to say about some of the major issues. So good for you on that one. Yeah. One thing I want to say, if that's okay, is like, if you're listening and you have a candidate that you support, please ask them if they you know, they might say no because they don't know you that well, but a lot of them do need childcare and they don't ask. I know so many women that are actually elected right now today. I know elected women that won't take childcare because of the blowback they'll get. And so I just encourage more people that if you're listening or running or wherever you are, you know, applaud these people because can you imagine all the families we miss out on that miss out on because of not having the ability to hold down a million jobs plus run for office? It's a long journey through an election cycle. So yeah, ask them if they need childcare. Do they need meal trains? Like, cause they do. I know single moms in Congress. There are single moms in Congress. I don't know how they do it. Right, right. Wow, wow. So Tamika, another one of the things I admire about you, and there are many, many things I admire about you, but one of them is that you really walk the walk when it comes to community service. You and your family are at the food bank 
every Saturday. Okay. Do I have that right? <laughs> yeah. Oh gosh. Yep. My little babies. You're making me. I don't know why I want to cry right now, but it's like I immediately see my little babies like running around the, the food bank. But yes, like we're there every Saturday. Oh my goodness. And how long have you been doing that? Since we've moved here. But prior to moving here, I was doing homeless um, initiatives with my grandfather, who was a Purple Heart recipient, and he would do homeless, help homeless veterans in car shows. And then I just brought all of that here and I got plugged into the community. And one of the things that they do every Saturday, they've adopted neighborhoods and in Vacaville, and they've adopted these neighborhoods that have food insecurity. And they've been doing this since before you and I were probably born and been servicing the community with food that's donated to them and some government assistance, but like, you know, cans and stuff. Yeah. Every Saturday. Oh, that's incredible. So it's food bank every Saturday, church every Sunday, church every Sunday. And now I've kind of been doing like this thing where like, if there's something going on in a Sunday, like, you know, like a family thing that we can go to like a little day trip. We've been doing that because my husband and I work a lot. And so we don't get to see each other and we don't get to like spend a lot of time with our family. So we've been just like balancing out our weekends, you know, on Sundays, especially, you know, like go to church. It's great. But if there's something happening, because California always has events. And so we'll, we've taken breaks from church and, and gone to those things so we could spend more time together. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, Tamika, now we're going to ask the question that we try to ask all of our guests on the Briona Society podcast. If you were president and you had a House and Senate willing to do whatever you wanted, what would you do? What would be your top three or top one? (laughs) Top one, top three. All right, let's let's start. Oh, my God. Okay, do I get a minute? Oh, gosh. No, okay, yeah. So, um, yeah, many minutes. so I'll repeat the question back so I can like extend my minute. So if I was okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a pop quiz. It's not a oh pop quiz. Gosh. You don't have to. That's such a good question. What's most on your mind? Like what would you if you could just write a new law or make something change right now, what what do you think that would be? Right now for me, it's all about education and when I think about young people not being able to read or not feeling like they're going to be able to succeed, like, okay, so two things. I So I love kids. Right now, the youth is very concerned about what the future looks like for them. There was just a report that went out that said that in order for the young adult to be able to buy a house in this modern time, they would have to make $125,000 a year. That gives me anxiety. And I, I have a house, you know, I'm not renting. We have a mortgage. Well, you know, low income in San Francisco, I think low income is $107,000 a year or less. <laughs> <laughs> it's exhausting to even think about, right? It's like, oh my God. So we, ha- I want to do everything that I can for our next generation to have hope. And that starts with education. And education does it, it's not just college, it's trade schools as well. Going to art school, you know, we, we need all of these things to make society run and run well. But we know how, need to know how to read, right? We need to know how to do basic math. Those are things that are not being achieved right now in our society. And so, I mean, I would be full throttle on creating competition with teachers. There's good teachers and there's bad teachers. I would want to do... So that sounds like school choice. Well, here's something I will tell you. I'm for school choice and public schools. And I can only tell you from experience. I know that we don't have that much time. But at the end of the day, there are going to be some parents because I was that child. I had a mother. It wouldn't matter how much money you give her. It didn't matter how what voucher you gave my mom. She was not going to give us the things that would like, she would not give us a school choice voucher. Like she would not try to send it to us to another place. Right. Obviously there's, 
She just wasn't engaged in that right. way. She just wasn't going to do that. So school choice, it sounds really good on paper, but we can't, uh, we cannot forget public schools. We cannot. That's just why we need people like you who have perspectives like that to be in public service. I appreciate that. I'm, I'm sorry. I just, that just hit me. I appreciate that. I, you know, God has a plan. I had to take a break this cycle because I've been running hard for almost five years. But the biggest thing is for me, is like, what does the future look like for the babies? And how can you and I provide that future and make it real for them? And so that's why podcasts like yours is so important. And the work that you're doing is so important. And then me just staying active, assisting candidates is so still important because you never know who's going to get elected out of that pool, right? And so, but yeah, I would I would just focus, hone in on, can we do the, ba- let's get the basics right. And then let's get this future. Let's make sure they understand that they do have a future and encourage them. Because Gen Z is just, they're so different and they're so lovely. And and every, like, if, I don't know if you ever go to Dutch Bros, like, always talk about the Gen Z at Dutch Bros. They need to be, like, replicated across the country. <laughs> I don't know if we have that. That's a coffee shop? Yeah, it's like a drive-thru. Come up here and visit me. So it's just like, that's Gen Z. Our country talks about the exception, but the rule is Gen Z, they're on to something. And we need to be behind them 1,000%. And that means that we have to create a future for them. That's so right. We absolutely need to create a future for them. Speaking of futures, Tamika, what's going on? You just started this pack. Tell us about your pack. What's happening? What are you up to? Yeah. So my main focus right now is helping other candidates close the gap. That's why I I created Tamika Pack. So if you're listening and you want to know more, go to TamikaPack.org. It's just closing that gap so people don't get stuck in the same situation I was in. I started from absolutely nothing. I only had $100. And that's so many candidates. I mean, just for a website alone, Jenny, it costs around a couple thousand dollars. People will say, oh, you don't need those certain things. But you do. You do. Don't try to skip. You're not going to be able to skip that until, I don't know, Gen Z Floyd takes over. There's going to be some old school things that are necessary to win an election. And I want to be there for these candidates. Wait, wait, hold on. A website website probably is like slightly an old school thing. (laughs) Like new school would be the social yeah. Presence, yeah, and social media is not, it doesn't win elections because a lot of people think it does, but it doesn't. We could talk all day about that, but it's still walking and, and making the connection on the phone, going door to door, phone banking, all of those things still matter to people, even even the younger generations. They want to know you care. They want to see you. They want to touch you. You know, they want to get something in their hand. And so that's why I started to the Tamika pack, you know, I didn't want to have like some fancy name that people would forget. I was like, my name is unique. And then it's like, oh, you ran. Oh, okay. Tamika. Tamika, thank you so much. This has been a really wonderful conversation. How can people follow you and contribute to your campaign? Yes. Go to Tamika, T-A-M-I-K-A, one word, TamikaPack.org. Well, Tamika, that's all I have for you today. I just want to thank you again so much for taking the time to speak with us. We think you're incredible and have such a bright future ahead. I know that we're going to be hearing from you in the future, whether it's a new cast of candidates that you launch through Tamika Pack, or maybe you decide to give it another go and run again yourself. But we're going to be seeing a lot more of you. I'm positive of it. I appreciate it. And we'll see each other again soon. Thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate you so much. Oh, of course. Thank you. 